All right, here we go. Episode uh, 21 from Tata Steel, Waikanze here in the Netherlands. We're back at it again. This is after round 10. We have a rest day today and uh, tomorrow we're getting back into it for the final stretch, the final uh, three rounds. Fabi, uh, well, welcome back, I guess. Uh, it's uh, been, what, a week since our last podcast, something like that? Yeah, thanks for the welcome back. Yeah. So I haven't seen you since then. Yeah, that's 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 true. At least not on camera, right? We've been putting on uh, a lot of uh, content, but mostly in uh, short format. Yes, yes, we've been um, mostly preparing for the yeah. tournament, and here we're talking about the tournament a bit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, th there's not so much to talk about in the chess world recently. That's the thing. It's it's been a quiet, a quiet period, but there's also been a great surge of interest in chess in general from the outside world which is an interesting dynamic i think because we in the like let's say in october we we understood why chess was in the news right but now it's a bit more of a mystery why chess is suddenly surging in popularity i actually don't think it's a mystery i think it's uh, it's all about mittens uh, i've been thinking about it and there's actually nothing outside of that that has been happening or at least nothing that would um, would create such a boom, right? And I think Mittens was a big one because everybody was talking about. And I think it was not only that they were talking about, uh, but they were also creating content around it. Like all these content creators, you see Hikaru, you see Gotham Chess and everybody but else. But they're like Hikaru and Gotham and yeah. Levy. They're making content regardless. Like, they, they are. Yeah. Le Levy is going to be putting out videos daily regardless of what's happening, whether there is something happening. Yeah. Or nothing happening if you even want to consider mittens as something happening i mean it is from how i see it basically just a publicity stunt it is no i mean i i don't think chess.com was hiding that too much right um but it did make the waves i think it's mostly about uh you know the internet loves cats um that's that's a big one you think like people would have a bit more depth to them right yeah, not, not you just <laughs> it's not even a cat you just call it a cat name and suddenly uh, yeah souped up chess engine is is popular you know just genius genius no i a great marketing move um i wonder if it's that or if it's just a delayed effect of just being news for a long period of time for example uh lex friedman hosting a bunch of chess players on his podcast like hikaru levy gotham chess andrea and alexander botez um all made appearances on the friedman po podcast like there was this period of chess interest because mm -hmm. of uh, mm -hmm. obviously the whole magnus hans thing maybe we're still seeing some like delayed effect of people are uh looking up chess and then they see oh chess is actually in uh in lex friedman and in joe rogan and mm -hmm. in the you know wall street journal and they're like oh maybe this is something that is worth checking out even if i've never played chess before i'm wondering if it's just chess pretty much penetrating the the, the zeitgeist yeah and, and just kind of becoming more uh, ingrained in the culture, American culture, world culture. I don't, I don't even yeah, know exactly. Yeah, it could be that it's it's becoming more than just a uh, a niche game. I think so. That it's because this is this is a very like it's not a concrete thing. I mean that some games are popular and others aren't. It's not because of the content of the game, right? Uh, chess is a very contentful game. Yeah. It, it has a lot of it. It can be very interesting. It can be more interesting than games that are traditionally very very popular, right? But still, people have to get into it, and you need to maybe reach a critical mass before it starts moving on its own. It feels like we are actually starting to uh, reach a critical mass. 
Yeah, that's what like chess.com seems to be saying as well, that the chess boom is continuing and it's not it's not based on any one factor and it's just kind of it's like it's a, a train that's picking up steam. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually Maybe. Danny uh, recently, Danny Wrench recently uh, tweeted about it and he was asking, when are they going to start? When are they going to stop calling it the chess boom? Um, maybe it's just it's just chess, just like we, we we think about football, just like we think about soccer, just like we think about all the big games. Maybe well, we're we're many years away, if many, many, ever, many years. from from yeah. that level of popularity, of course, but uh, definitely have penetrated into popular culture. Yeah, it's, it's not just something that uh, every once in a while makes a movie or TV appearance. You know, some. Some hustlers playing chess in the park, or, or every once in a while, you know, you have uh, someone like Toby Maguire playing Bobby Fischer, right? But this happens very rarely in popular culture, or it happened, and now it seems to be more and more in the mainstream news. Obviously, starting with Queen's Gambit, um, and now well, the whole saga in the summer that we had, yeah, and now even something very uh, ordinary, like uh, a chess bot. <laughs> That is named after a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems to to make it into the news somehow. Uh, so maybe maybe we've you know reached that that point where it just by inertia will will start to gain more and more popularity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually chess.com were having a lot of problems with uh, their servers because mm-hmm. of that. That was a huge huge issue that they had in the last. A uh, week, couple of weeks, they had to cancel a couple of title Tuesdays as well. So uh, that was a bit of a nuisance for hit for them, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, they need to get it together. Like, this is already a billion-dollar company at this point. Yeah. They they need to be able to handle the traffic. Get yourself some servers, man. <laughs> I'm sure they have servers, but yeah, they have to be ready for the possibility that they will grow exponen- exponentially in growth at this point. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they'll keep growing or maybe at some point you just hit that like th- there could be a natural limit some sort of a plateau yeah yeah there could be a plateau that chess will hit uh and we'll see that through chess.com this is the interesting thing is that we'll see it in real time because people who are interested in chess they really have only one way to go one place to go to to play chess or one natural place to go to there are of course other sites but when you for the first time google chess you get one website right yeah it shows which is natural right they have the domain and um even if other chess websites are also very, uh, you know, have very good chess playing uh, capabilities, still new players will always flock to this place. So if we see it continue to, there, if we see them continue to um, get more numbers uh, or reach record numbers, then we'll know that chess is growing. If they plateau, then we'll know that maybe we've hit that limit at least for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're actually, speaking of uh, plateaus, it doesn't seem like it's stopping right now. And um, I'm very excited about what they're doing next, which is um, the Champion Chess Tour. That's going to be very exciting. It's some sort of a uh, combination between what used to be the Champion Chess Tour, I think it was actually called also before that, um, the Play Magnus tournament Mm -hmm. in which Magnus was playing. And they're coupling up with uh, the Global Chess Championship with, mm-hmm. organized by Chess.com. So those two are merging together. $2 yeah. million dollar price one. That's yeah, huge. That's a, big, that's a big one for sure. It's probably the biggest one in online chess. I know the Grand Chess Tour was putting somewhere around a million plus pretty much every year since their inception. But $2 million is definitely 
um, the biggest one we've had yet. And I think... Well, the Grand Chess Tour was over the board. Over the board, yeah. And this is purely online and they've merged... I don't know if you would count it as bigger because they merged two things which were in themselves both very big, right? The Chess24 tournaments and the Chess.com tournaments. Uh, So we are getting less prizes in the sense that we're getting less events, but we are getting more prizes consolidated into a series of events. And the format is very complicated. Yeah. For people who aren't... All right, let's try to... uh, Let's try to explain it. Let's try to explain it. Okay, so there are six main tournaments that will happen over over the course of this year. And the aim of these six tournaments is to determine eight players who will qualify for a final tournament, which will be in person, which from what I understand will be held in December. Is it eight or is it ten? Eight, I believe. Eight players. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's eight. Hopefully it's eight. All right. It's Hopefully eight. we're not making a mistake. Uh, if we are, then we'll, we'll correct it. But uh, I, I think it's eight. Eight player in person final. Same as uh, the Chess Global Championship, Chess.com Global Championship that that culminated last year. So the final will be similar, right? But the qualification system is very different. And it will consist of six tournaments, six main ones. There will be qualifiers to get into those tournaments as well. And there will also be players who qualify on the basis of having the grandmaster title Mm -hmm. uh so that will be those will be open to grandmasters now it starts off as a swiss each of these six events starts off as a swiss and then based on the final ranking the players will be seeded into three uh groups or divisions Divisions, yes and those divisions will be knockout format so uh, the divisions are going to be numbers one through eight uh, that qualify, then number nine through, I believe, 24, 24 and then, and then 25, 25 to 56. 56. That, yeah, that's what I, from what I understand as well, three divisions, uh, eight, then uh, nine to 24, and then the rest, up to 56. 56 yeah. Which means that uh, you, m- most people will actually qualify for these knockouts because it, tournaments may... Maybe a hundred players. They may maybe less. They may be more. But a large part portion of the field will actually qualify. And then this is actually, I, I do believe, uh, this is a very very important thing for the 26, 2700s in the world that usually don't get a lot of opportunities to fight for top prizes. Sure, you have the title Tuesday, but even in title Tuesday, you only get the first uh, five spots, I think, and the fifth one is like one hundred dollars, so not a lot. Yeah. This, this is much more money. There's significant huge money. money. Huge money. So in Division 1, um, number 1 through 8, I think the first prize is $30,000 as well as, and this is uh, for six tournaments in a row, and then also and, a ticket. Uh, yeah, that's the most important part. The winner the of the Division 1 and only the winner of Division 1. Yeah. Divi- the winner of Division 2 and 3 and all those players have no chance of the ticket uh, in their division. Yeah. Only the winner of Division One will get seeded automatically into the final. Yes, so but everybody else also will play for something, uh, because yeah. uh, out of these six tournaments, you can only have six grand finalists. But two of them will, well, two players that go into the final will also be seeded through some something called points, Grand Prix points, or something along those lines. Yeah. So there is a point system based on your placement in each division. Mm-hmm. So if you win the Division 1, you get 150 points, which those points will not be relevant for your qualification because you already qualified by virtue of winning, but they will be relevant in terms of, obviously, they affect other people. 
right? Because everyone is going to be fighting for those points. And because there's also a final prize list based on those points. Yeah. Uh, if you don't win any of the events, let's say you, you don't win any Division 1. Now, that means that you didn't qualify directly to the final. Uh, but you still have a chance because there are points based on, let's say you got second in Division 1. You get... Uh, 100 points. 100 points. The winner gets 150, second gets 100. Which is actually more than winning Division 2. Division, right? Winning Division 2, I think it's 50 points. Yes, yeah. So if for hypothetically someone in every single tournament got second place of division one got to the final of division one every time they would be pretty much guaranteed from what i understand to guaranteed. qualify no guaranteed. They, they would definitely make it yeah even though they didn't win a single event but their consistency would lead to them being among the highest in the final uh point systems point system so so they would definitely qualify top two from the point system qualify which i feel like it'll probably be more because we probably will see at least one repeat winner Yes. Probably, probably. Uh, that's not a guarantee because there's going to be so many people fighting and it's such a crapshoot. Like, let's let's be honest with so many players. Uh, but we do have the people who are traditionally very good at, at this format or very good at chess in general. And there is at least some likelihood that one of those players will win an event twice. Wouldn't be surprising to me. Which means that we will possibly get three by point system. So there's a, a bunch of avenues to qualify for the final which is a big ticket because you know it's like first prize two hundred thousand dollars in in the final uh overall a lot of money there's like two million dollars a bit over two million dollars in in total prize pool uh, but it's a very tough yeah it's gonna be very tough a lot of people will be fighting for all that money a lot of money but again just come back to my uh, point earlier it's so important for these like uh people that usually don't have the opportunity to participate for example um, in the first qualifier, the Earthings Masters or whatever it's called, which is going to be played on February 3rd, 50, uh, it's going to be open to all Grandmasters, mm -hmm. first of all, and then top 56 will qualify. And you see a lot of players, you know, Andrekin, for example, that doesn't necessarily, well, Andrekin did well in uh, the Global Chess Championship as well. But I'm, I'm trying to think about somebody that hasn't qualified to those big money events and still is around 2650, let's say Oparin. Yeah, my student. Sure. Um, he's been playing a lot of title Tuesdays. He hasn't qualified to any of those uh, global chess championships. But now, if he makes it in the top 56, he's going to have a guaranteed price of $1,000, which is no, it's, quite it's, a lot. It's good right? money. If you're reasonably consistent at rapid chess, then you will make money. Yeah. You're guaranteed to make a few thousand throughout the tour. Yeah. Uh, okay, not guaranteed, but like if you have... If you perform at your level and you're a 2650, then you will make a few thousand. High likelihood. So, yeah, it's good money. Uh, it's very generous from them, uh, not only for the top players. And we know their motivation a bit was that they had like a lot of tournaments for top players. Like, let's say Chess24 had their um, in invitationals, right? And obviously Magnus played all of them. And let's say Wesley played all of them, players, players like that. And then chess.com had their more uh, open system, like Title Tuesday. Of course, not huge prizes in Title Tuesday, but still open uh, chance for money for all player, all title players in the world. And their RCC as well, it was open, right? And we saw guys like Paravian, people who aren't so known to maybe the outside chess audience, um, get a you know a few thousand, maybe ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand yeah. dollars, which is which is pretty good money. Uh, 
So a little bit of a tangent. I saw there was a post, blog post by Vasif Durabayi mm-hmm. from Azerbaijan. And he was lamenting that he played a tournament. I forget. I think it was in Sitka. Uh, Sij, yeah. yeah. Sanway Sij. And uh, he said that basically this is like an expense. He, he plays that tournament as a 2650 give or take player. I think he shared second place and got like 1500 euros. He, he has a good score and basically his, his prize money will not cover his expenses or will just barely cover it. He's not doing it for money, basically. Uh, and it was more or less talking about the economics of chess at that level, at the 2650 to high 2600s, low 2700s level, where if you're not getting invitations to tournaments like the Grand Chess Tour or the Chess 24 tournaments, where you have guaranteed prizes of whatever it is, maybe a minimum prize of 5000 maybe a minimum prize of 15000 then your financial... Uh, your financial possibilities are, are not that great. You don't really have much... In terms of chess playing, of course, there's content creation. People make a lot of money in that now who aren't professional chess players. Uh, there's chess teaching, right? Chess teaching is a big one. This yeah. is a bit behind yeah. the scenes. Like the the Private average... Teaching. Yeah. yeah, the average chess enthusiast won't know much about it. But in the United States, you might be charging 100 an hour for a lesson, right? If you're a known, uh, you might even be charging more if you're a known chess coach. Depending on location. I Depends, know a lot yeah. of people in New York that charge 2 to 50 per hour and yeah. they're not even grandmasters. Yeah, if you're, a known, if you're a known coach in uh, New York and let's say you could be a grandmaster, you could be, let's say, some, someone like uh, Udasen, right? Who yes. was at some point a, a top player. Uh, I'm not sure he's teaching anymore, but back back when I was living in New York as a kid, uh, he was one of the players slash coaches there. Or or uh, more recognizable names in terms of chess teaching, like Bruce Pondolfini, right? Um, or at some point, uh, my coach was Miran Cher, who, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, but he was also one of the most like uh, uh, known coaches in the in the U.S. chess scene. So a, a lot of coaches make good money, but chess players. Like it's it's a bit strange. Normally, you'd think competitive chess would have more money than the other aspects of chess, right? But it's a bit backwards. It's like in sports, the players make money. Like football players make millions. Yeah. And commentators make good money too, but you wouldn't expect a high school football coach to make more money than a top fifty football player in the world. Yeah, absolutely not. It's it's very backwards in that sense, right? Yeah. Where like pick any like football, soccer, uh, basketball, hockey. Well, I think football is very limited because I don't think they have uh, there there there's not a lot of teams, and I think um, maybe the total number of players is somewhere around three hundred players that actually make money, and everybody else doesn't does make anything. That's still more than chess. Yes, yes, yes. And when Top we're talking about making money, chess. you're talking about millions. Uh, for the most part, yeah. I, I'm not hundred percent sure what. The minimum um, amount of money you receive in football, but I would assume yes. In chess, it's like maybe twenty people make yeah. hundreds of thousands. Yeah, and then the rest make not, not that much, <laughs> like not a livable wage from just chess playing. Yes, it's uh, it's a little uh, bit of a backward situation. Again, it, it also depends very much on your location, uh, how affordable it is, where you live. But wait, wait, wait! Tell me one location in the world where, as a twenty-six fifty, you make money playing chess without anything else. For example, in Eastern Europe, 
not necessarily playing chess. Uh, yeah, but that's coaching. What I'm saying. Yeah, that's chess, what I'm saying. You can make a lot of money. Yeah, but where do you make money playing chess if you're not the yeah. Hikaru Wesley Magnus? Yeah, not, not, not so much. And that's the thing. Once you start coaching, playing takes a secondary role. You, you, yeah. Your improvement is pretty much stunt, stunted at that point. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just a strange thing because yeah. why would coaches be... Like, coaches are trying to prove players. You assume to the point that they could make money, but they're making more money from teaching they're giving more money to their coach than they could ever make from tournaments yeah yeah it's like i understand people get coaching because they want to enjoy chess and because they want to improve in their own way right they have their own goals like i want to become 1800 uscf i want to become a fide master i want to get this norm etc i want to win my local club tournament like they, they could be very modest goals but um you'd still expect that if coaching is lucrative that plane is lucrative, right? These things would naturally come hand in hand. In hand. But instead we have, uh, let's say, teaching is lucrative, playing chess is not, mm-hmm. and creating YouTube videos about chess is. Could be. Could be. Could but be. I mean, again, it's you a have niche to get market. Lucky in niche that, market, yeah. In, yeah. in that market as well. Not necessarily lucky, but you have to put in the work, you have to put in interesting content. But there's more people making money off content creation in chess you think than so? playing chess. You think so? Yeah. You think there's more than like, 20 people that actually make a decent living out of content creation? Well, well, to start with, the top of chess content creation makes more than chess playing. Yes. Levy absolutely. makes more money than Magnus. Absolutely. This is yeah. still a bit strange for me to wrap my head around, but he probably makes like <laughs> several magnitudes more money. Probably. Um, Magnus only from playing. Yeah, we don't know exactly what the contracts are. No, no, of you know, course, he has sponsorships and stuff, but but probably not like 15 million sponsorships. You yeah, know. who knows? Maybe. Who we knows? don't really know exactly. Or, um, but yeah, if you just start thinking about all the people who are doing Twitch and you can see that also with Hikaru, yeah, Hikaru basically gave, not necessarily gave up, but almost gave up a playing career to focus on content creation. Because well, let's say we saw makes Hikaru makes like close to half a million from prizes, right? Sure. Um, which like was last the top year. Magnus was the top with like 500 something. Yeah. It was like Magnus, Hikaru and Wesley. Ah, Hikaru was in second place. I don't remember exactly, the, but they were all very, very close. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why was because Wesley won the Chess Global Championship, 200,000 prize fund. Uh, Hikaru won. Uh, well, there were a few things. Of course, there was can- he qualified for candidates, so that was decent money. Um, no, he also won the Chess 960. And he won the Chess 960, which is like 100 grand yeah. straight up. And Magnus did like overall consistently well, but most money he made from his own tour. In the Champion Chess Tour, yeah. Which was a lot of events, a lot of online events. So chess players are making most of their money from online chess, not over the board chess, but they're still not beating content creators. Yeah. Like Hikaru, yeah, let's say he got half, half a million from content creation. He's making much more than that. Uh, sorry, half a million from playing chess and winning prizes. He's making much more than that from his YouTube and Twitch. Most likely, yeah, yeah. We, we, obviously, we're more or less speculating at this point, but we assume that's No, the but case. That's, that's kind of like public knowledge, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting direction in which chess is going, uh, not only with the content creation side, but also in terms of uh, format. Rapid and Blue is definitely becoming much, much more um, successful and much more important if you want to... Uh, make a living out of chess and that probably will drive a lot of players that have been and a lot of the culture 
in chess because the culture used to be like you have to focus on classical chess like this is uh the, the the big let's say chess format that you have to focus on nowadays as a coach you could probably direct your players to be good in rapid and blitz that's probably going to be more um financially feasible for them yeah i, I would at this point say if the trend continues classical chess is getting phased out within yeah. a few years yeah. yeah i mean it's just and Magnus players, was, was, was mentioning that as well. Um, yeah, it's what he wants. I mean, it's what a lot of people want. I understand. It's just easier. A lot of people want, you think? It's just easier. Like, you have to do less work. You can just get by on... I mean, for, for let's say, someone like Magnus, it's actually effortless because he can... He'll still work on chess and play a lot, but he doesn't have to put in the, like, 10-hour days or 8-hour days and, like, training camps with multiple people. That sort of stuff that actually like sucks. Let's say a few months out of your year. That like every once in a while, I was doing to prepare for candidates for the World Championship in 2018. And as you know, right? And you, I mean, you were part of the. We, we just like carved out three, four months. Yeah, it's just it's to work insane. on chess. It's insane. You don't have to do that, but you still, but you make more money. And you can do it from. Home. I mean, who who would not want to do that? What's like, your take on that? How do you feel? It's about a mixed it? bag. I mean. Because there, there has to be something about the love of playing long, long games, right? Of, of, of thinking for long periods of times. Yeah, on, of, the one, on the one hand, like... The psychological aspect of face-to-face -face chess, things of that nature. Winning a classical tournament with top players is more satisfying. It feels more meaningful. Yeah. If, if I'm thinking about, like, um, what I value in my career. But let's say you talk to a guy like Wesley... And he's playing here, and he makes, you know, whatever his starting fee is. Uh, and he has a decent plus two. I, I mean, the tournament's not over. We don't know what will... He could even win the tournament. It's not finished, right? But, but let's say he finishes plus two. He makes his starting fee, whatever it is, 25, 30 grand. Um, and, and he goes home after three weeks of work, which was pretty tough. You know, you go to, a, to another country, stay in a hotel, prepare before the games, a few hours. Uh, or he can sit at home with his cat and casually make, you know, 50 grand with minimal effort, 10 times less effort and more money. And you're going to convince him that playing classical chess is the way to go. Uh, you know, that's, that's why it's going to get phased out because if you give me an option with less effort and more money, of course, I mean, who wouldn't pick that option? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the only way that it can compete is if sig similar amounts of money get put into classical chess mm -hmm. besides the world championship, right? The, the entire infrastructure with the world championship that will stay just because of the obviously the money involved for how long do you think he's going to stay because right now um it's pretty obvious that after april after the world championship match the world champion is not going to be the strongest player in the world yeah but why do things stay is a question um just because let's say ding or nepo is the world champion and people say oh that's not the best player in the world well we've had that before kramnik wasn't the best player in the world but when how, he beat for Kasparov. how many for how many cycles is the question i mean if we're talking there's like a period of like i mean let's go from the 90s i mean when everything was messed up uh in terms of like multiple cycles mm -hmm. and stuff and pe different people were saying they're the world champion but if you had halifman um definitely not the strongest player in the world definitely not Ponomaryov, 
This was during Kasparov era. Definitely not. Definitely not. Kazimjanov, with all due respect, in 2004, he wasn't. Um, Then we had the debatable, right, Topalov, okay. Kasparov had quit. Topalov was world champion. Maybe we can say Topalov was the best player in the world. Um, At least it felt that way for a short period of time. For a few, yeah. let's say half a year, half a year to a year, it felt like Topalov for, was for, for a few was years. Dominating. He was winning all the tournaments, right? He was dominating Vichy, yeah. but of course, you can't really say he was like clearly stronger than Vichy or Kramnik, um, or even Leko. But it was close. But yeah, like, it was definitely. It, it close. was okay. It was a close situation. Now we're going to have a situation where Magnus is clearly higher rated than whoever of those two players will be world champion. But we've had that in the past. I mean, uh, much more egregiously because at least like let's say Ding or Nepo. They're like at currently number two or three in the world, which I think will change. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this will uh, necessarily stay the same because mm-hmm. we already saw like Ding going down, Anish going up, for example, in this tournament. Ratings fluctuate. Uh, we'll see that. We The only reason we didn't see it is because Ding didn't play for like two years, basically. Yeah. Uh, but once people start playing, ratings fluctuate. So, But still, we have a player who's like top five in the world who will be world champion while Halifman was not top five in the world. Um, Ponomaryov wasn't. Yeah. Like, uh, anyway, that's that's the past. But that didn't change the... Like, there's value in the world championship mm-hmm. cycle because it's a long process in, involving pretty much all the best players in the world, usually. And uh, the, the final prize is the biggest one you can imagine in chess. First of all, you put your name in the history book. For sure, like whoever is world champion, they're the classical world champion. Yep. You know, we will debate about whether Kramnik. In one hundred years from now, nobody will remember actually <laughs> most of these things, but they will remember who was the world champion during that time. Maybe <laughs> I don't know if they'll remember that either. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we can debate if Kramnik was better than Kasparov, but he beat Kasparov. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that and also there's money, right? People just play for the money. Or they don't just play for the money, but if there's a big prize fund, people will play. And Ding and Nepo are playing for a $2 million prize fund. $2 million, yeah. That's still more money than any of the chess.com tournaments are putting up. Or, I mean, it's the same, right? $2 million, $2 million, $2 million for the, the chess tour, but obviously split between hundreds of players. And, and uh, this is split between two players. So I don't think the World Championship is going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. But I think classical chess is dying a rather slow death. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I, I, I see where you're going and I tend to agree. I just hope that classical chess is still going to have um, some place in the world of chess. And I, I think it will. I think if the uh, big actors will decide that they want to continue having classical chess um, in the spotlight, I think they will but be who able are, to do who that. who are the big actors? Well... Uh, Fide, uh, chess.com, um, and St. Louis Chess Club. St. Louis Chess Club. That's it, it's three. Yeah. If we're talking about big players, it's chess.com, Fide, St. Louis Chess Club to some extent, but the St. Louis Chess Club is not trying to change chess. They have their tour of tournaments that they consistently do Yeah. every year. Well, it's the St. Louis Chess Club and the Grand Chess Tour. Yeah, I think they're actually different brands. Uh, the Grand Chess Tour is an entity in itself, which yeah. partners with the St. Louis Chess Club. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, the Grand Chess Tour is also uh, Superbet, right? And Romania is a big player in that. That's one of their um, sponsors as well. Actually, speaking of Superbet, 
they're starting to pump a lot of uh, resources into Romanian chess. Mm -hmm. They got the report, uh, we know that, but recently they also got, um, uh, what's his name? I'm trying to remember the Ukrainian Shevchenko. Shevchenko, yeah. Kir uh, Kirill Shevchenko. Mm -hmm. um, great talent, only 20 years of age, close to 2700. I think he was. I'm not 100% sure if he still is. He was around 2680, so that's quite significant. Yeah, he's very good. He's going to put. Uh, he's going to be uh, board three in Romania after Raport and uh, Dak. Also, no, Romania is, talent. is out of the blue becoming an extremely strong decent. chess country. Decent, yeah, yeah, decent. Like, team. I would say that team, and then you add, let's say, Lupulescu on fourth board or Nisipano. Nisipano um, might come back to the Romanian Federation. Okay. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe Dieter. These comes are back. just uh, rumors. But that's like maybe a top five team already, or is it? It's close to that because two twenty seven hundred players, one close to twenty seven hundred. I mean, let's say U.S., China. Uh, I don't know if we Russia. Russia. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, we can't say Russia right I mean, now. They're probably going to play next Olympiad. Yeah, but we just don't. It's like too volatile to know. We still don't know because also sure. players could like leave on mass. <sighs> I mean, okay, yeah. but they're I, still going to be able to put up a very strong team. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like twenty seven thirty at least. Yeah. But it's just a little bit difficult to predict at the moment yeah. with them. Yeah. So we're not going to So, count. okay. But still very strong. We'll always be a strong chess country. And then uh, France, obviously, France, yeah. with Frugia, Maxime. And if they decide to play. And they have. They haven't played. Neither yeah, have that's, played. that's true. That's true. But they said it was because they didn't want to go to India, I think. Because they were worried about the heat in the summer. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's yeah you cannot anyway, decide I, on these things based on 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 the heat yeah based on the demographic or of where the tournament is being played it's a bit strange at least but so Romania is up there right it should be what about Germany Germany do they have they have they Keimer, have Keimer. they have Blue Bomb they have uh, Zvain. Okay, these are, let's say, 2650. Yeah, no, not, not mid close. Okay, it's not actually a good team. It's a good team, but not close to, to, to Romania, I think. Yeah, because they don't really have someone who's well over 2700 in the way that, that report is. Yeah. Who else? I mean, yeah, you should... Oh, Azerbaijan. Armenia? Azerbaijan. Armenia? Who do they have? Sar Sarxian? Ar Armenia uh, is a very good... Well, okay, we're forgetting India. <laughs> India, there you go. Yeah. And two also, teams. Yeah. Also, Uzbekistan. Okay, we're forgetting a lot of countries. Uzbekistan will be very good because, of course, um, I mean, they already won, so they obviously are already very good. But Abdul Sattar will get better. Sindar will get better. Their young guys will improve, so they'll continue to get stronger. India will have multiple good teams because the young guys are very good and improving. And they still do have the established guys like uh, Pantala Hare Krishna. Yeah. And uh, Krishnan Sasikiran and Ganguly, Surya Ganguly. And, and like they have their established guys. And of course, Vidit, who is like, he's still quite young. And then they have like their 16, <laughs> 17 year olds who are improving a lot. I'm going to so, go with Romania being a top 10 country. Top 10, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. That's fair. Top 10, top sure. 10, which is very, very decent also. Um, but yeah, definitely going to be very interesting to follow. You know, I, I if I remember correctly, I think Italy once got number 10 in the Olympiad. Okay. In final standings. I think in the 2010 Olympiad. Were you part of that team? Yeah. We were actually fighting for medals. But we had to beat China in the last round. Yeah. We had we had a great Olympiad. Yeah. 
difficult. But we lost to China quite heavily. And yeah. still, it was a good score. I, I'm not 100% sure if it was 10th. Uh, our team at the time was um, uh, Godena, Yuna, Michele Godena, Vocaturo, Godena, uh, Brunello, and Brunello, yeah. Uh, wait, wait, Vocaturo, Brunello, um, and Diverni was on the team at the time. Really? 2010? I guess he was. Yeah. yeah. He's my age, probably a GM. No, Diverni was like 25s, 2500s yeah. uh, at the time, like mid 2500s. I'm I'm trying and wait I I only named four yeah there was a fifth player it was um Rumbledoni Dennis ah, Rumbledoni yeah 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 I remember that was the team that was the team <laughs> he's not playing anymore right I don't believe so but I haven't really stayed in touch yeah, I don't think with he is. Uh, with Italian chess too much so I don't uh, I haven't spoken to the players much at all yeah but yeah he was he beat me a long time ago. I have like a long history of playing, good player playing them. Yeah. Absolutely, no, all those uh, Italians, very dangerous guys. Yeah, no, that's uh, gonna be a very interesting Olympiad. But I think we're going to twenty twenty four right now. Twenty twenty three is going to be huge. We have so many tournaments coming up. Um, the Grand Chess Tour also in May, the American Cup, which is going to uh, be played in March. That's a very interesting one. I'm looking forward to that format. But I'm sure we will be talking about that. Uh, much more in uh, well, the future. We'll, be, we'll both be there. Yeah, we'll both be there at the American Cup. I will do some commentary. You will do some uh, some playing. Do you some still? Yes. Playing. <laughs> a little bit of playing. Speaking of playing, um, plus one, I think that's where we left it after four rounds. You're still on plus one. Um, a bit unfortunate. It sounded better after four rounds. I know, right? After 10 rounds. So. I know. We, 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 we were hoping to be at plus two, plus three. You beat uh, Gukesh lost against Magnus. Uh, that was a pretty painful occurrence. Do you want to talk about, about any key moments in any of these games? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we can talk about it briefly. Because last time we got into the games quite quite heavily, right? Yeah, we don't have any... We went into the details of everything, um, but that took quite a lot of time. So after I beat Gukesh, then I'm playing Parham. And more or less the game which was quite topsy-turvy. And at some point I was better. And at some point I overpressed and I suddenly got much worse. And even objectively at one moment I was losing in a very, very um, surprising way to me. Not surprising the move, but the position that it's actually losing for black. And then suddenly we reach a position which is, to my mind, a dead draw. Already it's been like, I've been sure that's a draw for a while. But I understand he's trying because he's like, He's the one who's pressing, but he's he's visually better. And then at some point, it's like he can't make any more progress. And it's I, I thought it would be clear to both of us, like, okay, we're heading to a draw. Yeah, I mean, we tried our best, but uh, it happens. It's a draw. I understand he wants to win, and he's an ambitious guy, very fighting player. But then he puts his king on g4. And, like, I saw this possibility in advance that he could put his king on g4. But uh, I was like, okay, I, it's it looks dangerous, but um, it doesn't seem like a bad move. But it doesn't change the valuation. It still seems like a draw. So, okay, I was starting to get a bit, like I'm also an ambitious player. I was starting to, to feel like, okay, he's playing very risky. You know, you could blunder a mate like this, right? Your king's out in the open. I'm, I have a queen and bishop. There's good attacking pieces. But I was like, okay, I, I don't see any way, so I'm not going to press this. So I go for what feels to me like a very clean way to make a draw. It should be one. 
At this point, I'm expecting him to just take the f4 pawn, and I take his b pawn, and we clean up. Shake hands. Then he plays this move, queen b2, which I had seen in advance, but it looked it looked like it was both pointless and risky. Like, on the one hand, you can lose with this move. It's almost losing. On the other hand, if I want, I can force a draw. So I don't see anything better than to go for what I feel like is a force draw. So I take his bishop, he promotes his he's about to promote his b pawn puts a pawn on b7 and it's going to be a perpetual and i'm sure i give him a check and i'm thinking okay he's going to play king g3 and then he's going to go into the corner and we're going to make a perpetual check there's nothing either of us can do about it but he looks very intense and i'm like why is he looking so intense he looks like this is like everything's riding on this game i'm like i don't understand i mean it's it's a force draw it's a perpetual and then he goes king e3 and from what I understand, this doesn't seem to change the valuation, but it starts to feel like white might have to make accurate moves, and maybe black is getting better. So I give some more checks. He goes all the way up. I don't really understand. Suddenly, it seems like he's he's going towards checkmate. I feel like I'm winning already. Then he finds like his king on e8 is kind of hiding, and I don't have checkmate. I have perpetual check. Um, he offered me a draw at some point around here, but at that point, I could literally like force draw and... 50 different ways <laughs> and I understood that I can only be winning this did you offer him a draw at any point during the no, game no, no, no. no I mean I, I, at some point I was like okay he can take a draw anytime he wants but if he wants to play I mean I'm not opposed to it right I was like thinking maybe he'll do something crazy which is what happened so he gets to a position where I find this bishop a2 and two against one queen ending looks losing for white but uh, I wasn't sure and eventually it was winning for me and we get into another time trouble, and after seven and a half hours, I, I mess it up and we draw. After the game, I'm like, what was all of this for? And the guy like went fully crazy on me. I mean, se completely senseless ambition. Like without, It was more or less like he was a bull and like waved a red <laughs> yeah. cape in front of him, yeah, yeah. and he just couldn't see anything else. He just... Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know what like came over him that he absolutely needed to win this game at any cost because it, to me it didn't feel like a game where I was like lost the whole game. It just felt like a normal kind of topsy-turvy game. And suddenly he's like, the last minute he's like, I need to win. And uh, of course I was also super disappointed that I didn't win. Um, it was like, and uh, then I lost like one of my worst games ever the next day. Absolutely disgusting uh, game where I just... Uh, played like a shocking move i mean i understood after i played it i was like this move is bad and i didn't even see exactly why but i was like i just made a terrible move didn't i it just feels bad yeah and then Bishop within City. like yeah, yeah within like two minutes I was, he played rook before and i was like okay that's it that's it it's resigns i was thinking of resigning on the spot but made a few more moves um and that was basically uh the most eventful thing that happened up till now because then yeah. i made some like relatively not super eventful draws. Yeah, it feels like the story of the last couple of days has been Keimer uh, and the Rukan games. Um, <laughs> two big Rukan games against uh, Abdus Satorov. That one was actually uh, crazy. The Rukan game was so difficult and we were trying to uh, figure it out over dinner. We were looking at the position. We were making mistakes left and right. Then we were checking it with the engine and we were seeing what mistakes we were doing and how you, we were supposed to uh, play. They were making mistakes left and right. And it was just Keimer that made the last, last mistake. Actually, 
it was this moment where I believe his rook was on f6. He did everything right up to that point. The king, the black king was on e5. I think the white king was on h5. And he had this almost study-like move, king to g6, to win the game. Do you remember the moment? Let me remember the position. So basically he, he gave this check on h5. Mm -hmm. King went back to g6. G five, G five, very important. And the rook move. goes behind. Rook check, A1. King of five, rook of six, king e five. Yeah. King g four. No, I think king g four was not winning because of rook to g one, rook to g three. But what he was supposed to play was king to h five, rook to h one, and now king to g six. Now wasn't it actually rook f eight that he had to go to f eight? So he like starts the push of the pawn. That might have uh, been winning as well, but I think this also king to h five. King to g6 with the idea of rook to f5 and just take the pawn on f4. Yeah, it's probably the same position because rook f8, rook g1, king h5, rook g3. And, but uh, now he can go g6, right? Ah, okay, okay. G6, yeah, check, it, check, it was, check, check. I, black goes to h3 and then we uh, we play rook e8, we cut the king off and go king f5, yeah? Something like that. Um, yeah. This was this was not so easy. Very difficult end. Not game. easy at all. Very very difficult end game. The thing was, I thought he would anyway win it because um, it felt like he he might not know that he's winning, and neither of them might not might not know because it's very difficult to understand that black is losing this. But still, it felt like white doesn't really have any other options, so you kind of just stumble into the win. Like you make those moves because they're the most natural moves, and then you kind of just get there without even knowing that what you're doing is winning, which happens sometimes, right? And then you get there and you're like pleasantly surprised. Oh, this is actually a completely lost position for black. But he found the other move, right? And after seven and a half hours, you can't really blame someone for messing up a complex weekend game, but definitely that was a painful one for him and a very lucky break for uh, Norderbeck. Yep. And after that, he... Followed it up, uh, Vincent, with another rook end game. Uh, very nice play with the black pieces against Jordan Van Forest. But unfortunately for him, once again, he uh, he did not convert. This this one was strange to me because I stopped watching the game at some point. Yeah, It was like white had a pawn a5, pawn g4, rook on the fifth. And black has like pawn a6, which is a very weak pawn, which has to be constantly defended by the rook on the sixth rank. Black's rook is like on c6. And black has like pawns h6, f7. And to me, it just seemed like white waits, and that's it. Black really doesn't make progress here. Yeah. And I would think that even like in a blitz game, white would draw this without much worry because you just you just wait. But within like five moves, Jordan was suddenly losing. As I tuned back in, I'm like, well, how did this happen? And then uh, he didn't find a way to win. So it was... <laughs> uh, he... he Probably will have some nightmares. I mean, it's like, <laughs> not only that he misses two wins, but in the same exact fashion, in long working games, and you, the longer the game, the more you feel like I just wasted all my time. Like at least, okay, I play a seven hour game. It's not fun, but at least I got away with it with a win, right? Yeah, satisfying. Yeah, but you don't even come away with anything. I mean, it's even worse to lose, of course, a long game. Then you feel like. I just got tortured endlessly, and and I lost. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been we've been on every side of it, right? That you win a long game, that you lose a long game, or that you mess up and draw a long game. 
but from experience it's pretty painful learn your rook end games uh guys uh very very important um rook end games queen end games all of these uh, simplistic-looking endgames, which actually have a deep layer of uh, complexity. Okay, but here's the, the thing. Like, when we say learn your endgames, I mean, it's it's very easy to play an endgame. Yeah. When, let's say, you're training and someone's asking you, like, okay, in this position, uh, what's the best move? Mm -hmm. And then you think with no pressure for, like, 20 minutes, and then you calculate and everything. Uh, and very often you get it wrong anyway. Yeah. But w when you're actually playing a long, long game, seven hours plus, and you're very tired, and it's already ten, right around ten of a tournament, so you, you know you've had the tiredness of the previous nine games, and of the full game that you just played, then it's different, and you don't have someone telling you, you know, look for a win here, right? You don't even know if you're winning in the game. Um, that might have been the reason why, for example, Vincent uh, didn't win against Abdusatarov, why he didn't find the winning move. Maybe if you had told him there's a win here, he finds it. But over the board, everything's more difficult. That's what people, even grandmasters, even you know myself, you, you as well, I'm sure, uh, sometimes forget when we're watching games. Everything seems easy until you're actually sitting there. And then you have all these doubts. Is, is it winning? Is not winning all these moves or it was the same like someone asked in uh well we have a discord right mm -hmm. and someone asked this question about the game like why didn't um black play king g5 in that game why didn't i was star play king g5 because at some point he had to draw it like this yeah and yeah if you ask him to evaluate king g5 uh i'm just he would probably say yeah this is probably a draw it looks like a draw but the thing is, maybe he also evaluated what he played as a draw. And maybe he thought they were both a draw. And he just went with his gut on which one is more likely to be a draw. And he guessed wrong. Because yep. the only reason that he was losing the game was because of a, like a 20-move sequence. Yep. Of like only moves where white eventually... F3, king g2, king h3, yeah. king h4, g5. Yeah. The only reason why wins is, first of all, his F3 move. Which, when we were thinking about it, I was like... I was like, this is a draw. It's an amazing fortress. We did not spot it. Black sacks the F-pawn and then goes with the king to H4 and it's a fortress. But then we were like, oh, there's F3 move. And then we realized that, of course, black waits and white's only way to try to win is to play rook G5, which is a very clever check. And then king H7, and it, again, it seems like it's a draw. But then you see that the rook goes to F6 and you think, oh, it's winning. But then you see black goes behind. And again, you think it's a draw. And all of these calculations go through a player's mind very quickly. And it's only if you see up to the very end that white uh, isolates black's king, cuts it, cuts it off, and then uh, keeps black's rook tied to the f-pawn from behind and slowly uh, marches the g-pawn up the board. Then you realize it's winning. And this is a level of foresight that it's really difficult. I mean, Especially when you have five minutes on the clock for the rest of your game. Yeah, I think from White's point of view, maybe you stumble into it, but from Black's point of view, to avoid it, you have to have an either like a sixth sense or an incredible level of luck because I don't think that you can calculate your way uh, to to a conclusion in under the game, circumstances of a game, under the circumstances of, of having low time. Uh, that's why, 
yeah, we we shouldn't really be criticizing the players for this. No, absolutely not. No, it's just it just goes to show how difficult chess is and how resourceful these players are when they are on the defense. You can see that with Abdusatorov as well, who was well, pretty much everybody at this tournament is so resilient, and most top GMs are resilient like that. Um, so yeah, that is something that everybody can definitely work on and i think it's probably a good um good uh advice to finish this podcast on um, what's the advice just study uh rook and queen end games simplistic end games as well as work on your uh resilience when you know that you're in a worse position and you have to put the best defense forward good how advice. does that sound good and eat your vegetables Eat your... I like that. I like... Now, Fabi, um, what do we have? What do we have new in uh, the uh, C-square conglomerate? We have TikTok nowadays. Yes. Go check that out. It's going to be in the description somewhere. TikTok. We have, we have a Discord server. That's a big one. Yeah. We open a Discord server that is open to the public. Yeah. So we'll put that down below. People Somewhere can, yes. uh, if they want, join. And, and that is actually the best way to uh, keep in touch with us because we are actually active in the Discord. We interact with pretty much everybody that's in the Discord on a regular basis. So if you want to have direct access to us, um, chat with us, uh, ask Fabi uh, about his game immediately after the game, then go into the Discord and join that what else do we have? Again, I, I wonder, do we trust our subscribers? Do we trust our viewers? We do. We always do. We do, yeah. Especially yeah. Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll trust you on that one. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't usually trust the internet, but... Uh, we, 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 we trust them. What do we trust them with? With being in our Discord. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll, 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 we'll get a few. We'll, we'll, we'll get a few interesting minds in uh, inquisitive minds in the discord as well all right three games to go lots of chess still to be played that's going to be very interesting and i'm sure we will be talking about it once we uh well once the tournament finishes and once uh, both of us get into our respective homes uh, so we will catch you guys in about a week from now anyway thanks for tuning in good luck fabi and uh, yeah, see you guys in the next video. Yeah, see you guys. Cheers.